some interesting observations about using games to help people learn. We're going to share that. We're going to talk about the concept of essentialism on this episode of the Learning Geeks podcast, starting now. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Welcome back to the uh, virtual studio of the internet as we jump in for another Learning Geeks podcast. (laughs) That would be a VSN. No, VSI. VSI. Virtual source. Anyway. I loved in our last episode, I think you said the clock on our wall or something like that. (laughs) The funny thing is when you said that. on Zencaster. When you said that, I looked and I thought, wait, where do I have a clock on my wall? (laughs) I actually do have a clock that I'm pretty much looking at when I sit at my dining room table and record these. Uh, We do have a clock hanging on the wall that's in front of me, but that's not what I was looking at. So So what are we going to talk about in this episode, Bob? We're going to do it quickly because uh, we only have to the top of this actual hour to record this virtual podcast. Um, So I'm going to share some observations I made this summer about using games to help people learn in uh, in the corporate setting, which should be extrapolated to any setting, I'm sure. And I'll tell that story. And then, uh, Dana, you're going to talk about a book you've been reading called Essentialism. I am. Yeah, there's some interesting ideas in there that I think uh, have huge implications on learning. Even though it's not a learning book, I think there's some ideas that we could banter around and might be a benefit. That's great. And we will do that all on this episode, which is actually episode two now of season two is what we decided because we got a little bit helter-skelter over the summer in terms of uh, our recording podcast schedule. And now hopefully we are back on our every other week uh, cadence. Mm-hmm. So we got a good plan for it. I think we do. we'll keep up with it. Yep. yep. So that's, so this is season two, but let me go ahead and get started uh, and, and tell this story. So, so the project that I have been working on for the last year is developing a learning program for our most senior leaders at Accenture and Really, what we were doing is redesigning a program that we had run the last couple of years, and it had been very successful the last couple of years. In the past, the way we designed it was around a simulation. So it was a week-long simulation. We had a client. A, you can see me doing the air quotes right now, right? We had a, a client, quote-unquote, uh, that the course was about. And we put people on teams and what they needed to do was learn about the client, figure out where the business opportunities were with them and make a proposal and have meetings with them about how we could help them with their business, the type of work that we do at Accenture. And like I said, the last couple of years, uh, it's been great. It's been very successful and it was a very immersive simulation. And we've been talking a lot about immersion lately with, uh, with star Wars galaxy's edge and all of those things. And I'm a big fan of this and have historically been a huge fan of making immersive learning experiences, making them feel as realistic as we possibly could. So a couple examples of that was one, we made some TV commercials for this mythical client that just kind of helped tell their story, but also got people really thinking, oh, this is a client. Uh, We had uh, my son, Harrison, who is the graphic designer. We were talking about that on our last podcast, uh, how I'm learning from him. 
Uh, we had him design a logo and branding for this mythical client. And uh, we also had an experience where we wanted to have them do a dinner meeting. And so we set up this virtual environment in our one of the ballrooms at our training center where it felt like you were um, you were on the ocean. And we had like a giant projection screen that we were using for the rest of the class but we made like an animated uh, video of the background of the ocean. And it gradually went from evening into night. We had a fireworks show at the end. It was great. It was really, really cool. And people got into it and it, they really felt like they were not in a training center, but they were at a restaurant by the ocean and having a meeting with the client. So we were very excited about how this was going. But we had a change this year. Uh, we realized that instead of doing it all in one session where everybody came in from all over the globe for this session, that it was better for us to do it in regions. So we did it in three different locations this summer. We did it in the States. We also did it in Portugal. And we did it in Bangalore, India for a smaller group. And uh, th that was a, a great experience. That's why my summer was so crazy this summer was I was at all three of those. So I was on the road for almost six weeks straight. Um, but we also realized as we were designing it that that learning architecture of the really intense simulation was not going to work anymore for, for lots of reasons. But we needed to come up with a different way to do the course. So what we decided to try this year was instead of having the learning experiences be framed up with the architecture of the simulation, we had the learning experiences framed up with uh, an architecture of games, of games for learning. So we split the groups into teams. Uh, we had four big teams in each course and they played these learning games where it was really, it was mostly the same content. It was mostly the same skills that they were practicing, but instead of, uh, of it being a simulation, it was a game. So we had points, we had scoring, uh, you know, we kept track and we had a big tournament. And at the end of the week, we declared the champion of the week. And, you know, th this was something I was excited about doing, but I was also a little anxious. I wasn't sure are people going to buy this? Are they going to get into it? Well, the good news is they really did get into it. And at the end of the day, what I observed was that our coaches were quicker to give very direct feedback to our participants about their performance during the game than they were in the past when we were doing simulations. And in the past with the simulation, it was a little more sugar-coated or a little bit softer uh, with this experience, because the way the game was structured, the coach would only have about a minute to give feedback to somebody who had just played a game before they had to go on to the next person. Uh, they gave them very direct. This is what you did well. This is where you can improve. I would suggest you try this. And so we saw that. But more importantly, we saw a receptivity to that on the part of the participants. So Whereas in the past, people might push back a little bit, might be a little bit more reluctant or might be polite and listen, but then you don't really see them act on it. We saw people really take in the feedback, ask more questions to get more detailed feedback, and then turn around in the next round of the game and try what they had learned. 
uh, which was great. I mean, that's what we want to have happen, right? That's the whole reason why we're doing these type of activities. So I saw that observation and I have a hypothesis that I wanted to talk with you guys about. And I also want to do some research about this in the coming months and see uh, if this pans out more universally is my hypothesis is that when you're in the simulation, it is a, it's a little bit too close to home. It's so close to being what your job is that a participant might be a little more reluctant to take risks. Uh, they might be a, a little bit more apprehensive about constructive feedback that they get because it is so close to their job. It's kind of an ego bruise if they don't do well. Right. So it's like, hey, if I don't do a good job in the simulation, what does that say about me in my role and my ability to do my job day to day? And then what does that say about my identity? Who am I? Right. Uh, which gets into issues of growth mindset and fixed mindset and Carol Dweck's work and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, so I think that that might be what's happening. And then on the flip side, when you frame it up as a game and, uh, you know, it's, Hey, we're doing this for points and we're doing this for the team. And, uh, it's all great because if you mess up, you can just try it again and do it again a different way and get feedback and get better. Uh, people were way more open and way more receptive to the feedback and asking for the feedback because, uh, they were still, well, they were taking more risks because the stakes weren't as high, Right. Even though with the simulation, they know that it's not a real experience, right? It's a mythical client. The, the stakes are still a little bit high, at least in terms of their psyche. But I think that there's less, uh, there's less kind of psychic or spiritual stakes. There's less stakes as to who am I as an individual uh, when you put it in the context of a game. Yep, and, and that's something that I'm really. It, it was kind of a uh, an exciting, but also a shocking observation for me, and a shocking theory because I've spent so much of my career making these in-depth simulations and thinking, you know, this is absolutely the best way for people to learn. And now my thinking is being challenged on that a little bit. So, uh, would love to hear more about your guys' thoughts and and. Uh, and like I said, do some more research about it. But what's your guys' reaction? What do you think about that idea? Uh, for for me, I I think this is a really interesting hypothesis. I I thought you might have been going a different route when you mm. mentioned games for simulations, um, because I've had I've had a little bit of uh, I have a different hypothesis too about the two, but I didn't have that specific uh, perspective when I was going in on it. Um, but knowing this, I actually think this makes complete sense. And I was trying, I was visualizing how I go into simulated environments or, uh, situations where I'm supposed to practice things. I've done, um, exercises where I've, uh, practiced, uh, difficult conversations or similar, uh, tactics and, and skills, uh, through a virtual way, as well as in person kind of through role plays. And it's really hard for me. I'm exactly mm. worried. There, there's this fear that, that's what I kept. I was thinking while you're talking. There is a fear of me doing this because if I fail, it 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 is directly in line with the context of my work, like in what you said. Um, 
it represents what, hey, does this mean that this is how Jake is in real life? There is mm-hmm. that little bit of fear of failure. So when you attach the term game, it, it almost, not, I wouldn't say it eliminates the fear, but it, it reduces it pretty dramatically where you're more willing to just do it, especially if it's tied to a team, right? You're more willing mm-hmm. to do it. It's not in the concept of actual work. I can totally see in many of my cases that I've played games uh, that have been not your traditional Monopoly games or anything like that, where I have been able to just jump in and try it. And then again, like in a simulated environment, I have, it's that fear. And that's the part where I can totally see. And again, that fear is, is, is necessary sometimes, especially you want to create the safe environment. But if you can get around it in a way where you're still bringing out the learning um, and it still creates more of that team um, collaborative environment where we're learning from each other as well as from coaches, I, I still think that's extremely valuable. So yeah, I, I, uh, you're, you're getting me to believe in the hypothesis a bit. And I'm now I'm curious now I, I might, right. I might write this down to myself as something to research. Yeah. So I've got a couple of thoughts, Bob. Um, you know, I think, uh, first of all, there's a couple of terms that came to mind, playful engagement versus serious engagement. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a way we want to talk about it, but as, as I framing it up, what I'm hearing is you had in the initial one, you had more serious engagement right? Uh, versus in this other one, you had more playful engagement. We know that when people are in a state of play, this is all the research right around play, we know that their brains are more receptive to, to learning and to feedback and to, um, and to being able to make adjustments and corrections. So I think there's something to it. At the same time, I wonder if it is content dependent. So, mm. for example, um, you know, uh, flight simulators. I, I I don't want my pilot to be playing. I want him to be serious <laughs> yeah, about not right. crashing that right. plane in the simulator, right? It's true. Or yeah. or the oil rig thing. So so you know, it might be um, content might be a lens by which to look through that. Um, right. Because it, you know, it might not be the some best sims you want realistic. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. But I think there's something to it I, I, because there is a, a, a large body of research that, uh, that talks about how when you're in a state of play uh, and you're more creative and you're more free-flowing and your brain is more receptive to, to new ideas and to new input, including feedback. So I think there's something to it. There's a uh, So a while back, I read this book called Lifelong Kindergarten, and that's a group <laughs> out of MIT. And that's specifically designed around that that idea. Well, it's not just idea, but the research around it of sparking creativity and create, allowing creativity to occur through the act of play and being with people and, you're, and, and something that you're passionate about. So, and, and, and again, that's it's lifelong kindergarten for any age. So bringing mm-hmm. in that playful environment, playful engagement, it does open your mind to new opportunities. So that, yeah, there there definitely is, now that you're making that connection, Dana, there is definitely a lot of research that I know I've even read in the past that could clearly help with the hypothesis. And even the book that I'm going to talk about in a little bit, uh, there's a quote uh, where the author says, play doesn't just help us explore what is essential. It is essential in and of itself. I love that. Um, and I, I think that ties nicely to this. He's got a whole chapter on play. That uh, I think yeah. as you're doing your research, Bob, you might want to look at that chapter. Great. Great. It's page, well, thanks eight, page for your thoughts, 89. <laughs> okay, good. Well, thanks for your thoughts on that. And Dana, we'll have you talk about that book. But I, I do just want to say uh, to anybody who is listening, uh, if you have ideas on this or thoughts on this, please uh, ping me on it. Um, drop me a note. Would love to, uh, you know, grab me on Twitter or whatever. Uh, 
would love to engage with you on this and we can see what we can all learn together. Uh, but meantime, Dana, let, share, share with us a little bit yeah. more about that book, Essentialism. Great. So yeah, in the last couple of minutes we've got, I just want to banter around an idea with, uh, with the two of you and, and hopefully it'll stimulate some thoughts from our listeners. Um, so we, in our last episode, we talked about, uh, the, what we did over the summer vacation. I drove out a car out to Utah, but then flew back. And I'm the, I always have a book that I'm drop in into my backpack. And so I put, uh, pulled this one out and just started reading it. And I read the entire flight from Salt Lake City to Chicago. I read 200 of the 250 pages. Just, wow. I found it a, just a really good, interesting book. Um, and let me just give you a couple of quotes and then I'll set up what I want to talk about. The, the first quote is uh, from the author. He says, our whole society has become consumed by the undisciplined pursuit of more. The only way to overcome mm. that problem is to change the way that we think. And then he says, we've been oversold the value of more and undersold the value of less. All right. So with my learning hat on, I started thinking about, so what are the implications of getting to the essential or the vital few uh, in learning programs? And the first one that comes to mind is how many times have, <laughs> have, have you or even people in the audience saw a list of objectives that you knew that they were not going to be able to get to them in the hour long or eight hour long class, right? So I think if we look at learning programs through the lens of essentialism, we may be able to improve the focus of objectives. We may be able to increase time for learning because we take a serious look and we only put in the vital information um, and just overall improve the learning experience. So anyway, that was my reflection. I've thought a little bit more about it. What, what reactions do you guys have to that? Well, the first thing that I thought of, Dana, was the work that we did in our onboarding program yeah. and really boiling down that day one experience to the essentials, which is less about here's the punch list of 8,000 things that you need to remember, which you don't remember, by the way, and more focused on what do you need to learn about our company in order to succeed? What are the two or three fundamental things that you need to learn? And how successful that's been, how warmly that's been received. But we still get the nearly continual requests. Uh, you have to include my content on day one. It's absolutely vital. And that is a challenge for us as learning uh, as learning people. So I love the idea. I agree with it. Uh, it's something that's always going to be hard to do because our stakeholders tend to think, uh, you know, as long as it shows up on a bullet point on a PowerPoint that their topic yeah. is covered and everybody knows it. It's a constant battle, right? It is. Yep. Yeah. It's a constant. I, one, here's one more quote. Um, and this is from a different book. This is from a book called Moonshot by John Scully. You guys might've read it. Um, he was talking about Steve Jobs and the design of uh, things that Steve Jobs designed. He said, Steve believed that simplification was the ultimate sophistication that what you left out was more important than what you put in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's another way of, you know, when we think about learning programs, it, we should think about what can we leave out? You know, what, what are the, and, and Bob, your point is right on the, the battle with sponsors is never going to end. Mm -hmm. But if we can get of that mindset where we don't just say yes to everything and we give pushback on some things, I think we might win some of the battles there. No, I, I, I really like that. I think as a preview for our next show, I think we should 
talk about this a little more, at least in my mind, I really want to talk about the idea of ecosystems and mm. helping people think through uh, more, have a larger view into how this uh, essential pieces fit within certain areas within this ecosystem. And then there's other times where it needs to be outside or it's in, right? But it's it's stuff to help, again, support people and not try to cram everything all to one. So I think there's a huge opportunity. But what, and Dana, what's the who's the author of Essentialism? It's uh, Greg McCowan, M-C-K-E-O-W-N. Okay. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but but I, I like that idea, Jake, because the, the essential things might not be, there might be things that are essential now that uh, are, are not essential later. And yeah. you might be able to take some of the content and spread it out over the entire ecosystem. And there's things that are essential to me now that aren't to you later, to you now, maybe yeah. later, right? And I think that's that's important. So anyway, right. I'll do my homework right. and yeah. read that book before our next show. Great, I will too. Yeah, we'll do a little book club, and we'll invite our we'll invite our listeners to join us in that, and that would be great. But we'll pick up essentialism again, and also your other to do, fair listener, is to. Drop me a note with your thoughts about uh, simulations versus games and anything that that sparked. Uh, but we will see you all again in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. Uh, Jake, Dana, thank you for joining me here today. And we will see you soon on the next episode of the Learning Geeks podcast. Thanks much. Thanks so. Wow, that's awesome.